we're making a, a turn in our, uh, that's just in case y'all didn't see it the first time. Um, I walked in on a movie one time uh, at the very end. Uh, that was not good. I didn't know. I was, uh, it was before I ever met Michelle, and so I don't even remember the girl's name. That's how, that's how bad of a person she was, uh, I reckon. Uh, but I walked in at a movie, and I was like, oh, cool. It's, we're a little late. And actually, no, it was the last five minutes. And I was like, oh, I had to sit through the whole thing again. So I don't know, really know why I told you all that. Uh, it just made me, made me think of it just now. Um, you know, we've been going through this church series and looking at, we're kind of making a move now, moving to, we spent many months, or many weeks rather, on how we treat each other. And now we're looking more at, okay, what does the church actually do? And, and speaking of that, before we kind of get into that this morning, I want to tell you about two really unique ways that we're going to help you in your spiritual journey. The first is coming up two weeks from tonight. Uh, it's called How to Form Spiritual Agreements. And uh, I think we've got an image on, yeah, August 28th at 6 p.m. And, and I, I think we're doing it in this room, but I, I'll, I'll let you know next week. I can't, I can't exactly remember. I think it's in here, though. Um, if you missed that, we did that back earlier in the year. It's part of our discipleship freedom journey. And, and here's what that is. He said, Jason, what, what are spiritual agreements? Well, the, the Bible is very clear in the Old and the New Testament, and especially in the New Testament, that you actually have been given the mind of Christ. But how do you use that? What do you do? How, what does it mean to take your thoughts captive? What does it mean for you to actually interpret what you see and, and make your mind conform? How do you take the power of God and use it practically? in your mindset. This, and we're going to cover all sorts of things from, you know, real practical tools. If you struggle with anxiety from time to time, if you find yourself uh, worrying over things, this is, this is the thing for you. If you find yourself uh, right now in, in a season where you struggle maybe with, with some anger over something, or you're going to, if, you have, if you're not struggling with anger now, you will later. You know, we, we live in a world full of broken people. And if you need to know how to, how to harness those thoughts or, or, or even thoughts about yourself, if, if you've always felt guilty about your past or, or there's something holding you back, this work workshop is um, something that I've really been practicing. It's not a it's not a study from a book. I'm kind of walking you through my own journey of how I've learned to take command of my thought life and my mindset. So we had a really good crowd last time. And so bring, if you come to that, bring a pad and a pen and a Bible. And uh, we're going to start that. It'll probably last about an hour and a half. So that's going to be, it's, it's, it's really good time and it's interactive. We're going to be very transparent with it. Um, I also want to let you know, for all of you ladies out there, you know, our men's ministry, Men of Franklin, and our women's ministry here are, are really gaining traction. And one of, the, one of the things I love about watching our men's ministry and our women's ministry is watching people of different generations really go down the journey together. And so uh, August 21st at 5, from 5 to 7.30, we have a women's event. Now, Nancy Thomas, the great Nancy, is going to be out there in the atrium. You can sign up out there. Man, don't miss that. This, these events are really good. So Nancy can fill you all in or you can go to our website for for that. That's kind of how we're being the church in the next few, in the next few uh, days and weeks. So today we're going to talk about the church and, and specifically uh, what I'm just going to call the main metric that measures success. That's a lot of M's. Um, the main metric that measures success. You've heard me mention it and I'm going to keep mentioning it. I'm being repetitive 
on purpose. That so often how we measure a church is based on what we want and based on what we like. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you normal. It makes you somebody that, you know, you know we look at church and we begin looking at things that we think a church should do. But a lot of times, if you'll, if you'll check it, the things that you prefer are not always biblical standards. They're not bad, but they're preferences. So I would tell you, friend, you hear me mention this a lot, watch your preferences. Make sure that you don't spiritualize your preferences. If you start spiritualizing your preferences, I promise you, listen to me, if you're a guest today, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if if you're looking for a church and you're in the crowd today, if you're spiritualizing your preferences, and by the way, I've done this, I have. I find myself all the time thinking, you know, that what I like, God likes, right? You know, my mama thinks uh, Bill Gaither's the fourth leg of the Trinity, you know? Um, you know, that, that, you know, Southern gospel music, man, listen, man, that's just not for me, right? You couldn't pay me to go to one of those concerts. I, I mean, I'm serious, you know, but, but that's, that doesn't make them bad and me good. It just means, I just, this is not my preference, right? You know, but you also couldn't pay me to go to all kinds of concerts too. So that, that's not just them. But the reality is we tend to think that, oh, well, what I like must be God's favorite too. And it's not just music. It's all kinds of areas. Like, be careful that you don't spiritualize your preferences, friend. Because it can really get you in some tight places when it comes to Scripture. But it doesn't mean that we, that we do have biblical standards of what is a church and what is a church supposed to do. What, what are our main metrics of success? And so we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to start this morning before we even get into the Scripture. If you're taking notes, we're going to land in Matthew chapter 6 in just a minute. Uh, and, and we're going to be looking at the model prayer. So let's talk about some places that the church, what the church was never designed to do. Ready? So th- here we go. First of all, I would say the church was never designed to share the gospel for you. Okay? You won't find that in the New Testament. Oh, we are to share the gospel. But the Bible says all of us are to be witnesses. The, the, you know, and what's happened is, is what has been commonly referred to many times over as the reversal of the Great Commission. The people in the New Testament believed that Jesus said, go and tell. And the church, at least in my lifetime, has taken a posture of you come and hear. You come and hear. So we even, we even build churches around that attractional mindset. And it's not, hey, I'll take it. I mean, people come here to, to hear the gospel, and that's wonderful. But listen, the, the, biblical, the biblical idea is that we are all responsible to share the gospel as we have the opportunity to, to do that. So the church was never designed to be the, the, the lone voice and you to be mute. There's no such thing as a silent witness. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's, an, that's an impossibility. You to witness is to testify to something that you know and that you've seen. The church is also never designed to be what I would say your sole source of spiritual growth, especially for parents. You do realize, parents, that it was never the idea in the heart of God that student ministry is responsible for leading your kid to Jesus. That's your job. As parents, you will, you will never see you, kids ministry, preschool ministry, we are all sowers. We help, absolutely. Didn't say we don't. We help. But if you look in the Old Testament, I can tell you, I can tell you one thing. An Old Testament Hebrew would have never said, I'm going to leave it up to the temple to be the avenue for teaching my kid about the Lord God. 
We are there to enhance it, make it better, make it stronger, make it wider, make it deeper. But listen, friends, and think about it. How in the world, let's just take students for a minute. Let's take everybody that's in high school or middle school. How in the world can any church be expected when we get them, and anymore, especially post-COVID, if, if people are still going to church, it, it went from two to two and I think 2.3 times a month to one time a month post-COVID. It's, it's the, the national average is really skewed right now and it's slowly coming back, but it's, it's forever different. So how in the world can I expect any church or any few pastors or ministers in student ministry or middle school ministry or kids ministry inside of 45 minutes a week when I've got my kids all seven days? That is, that is for me to do. I didn't say we don't help with spiritual growth, but we're not the sole source of it. And that goes for adults too. If the only time that you're in the Word of God is right now, friend, I'm going to tell you something. You're vulnerable to the enemy if this is the only time that you're in the Word of God. It, we are here to help one another, but we're not here to be the replacement of your spirit. I'll tell you something about my own personal journey with Jesus. I've had people mentor me, and I've had people disciple me in some ways. But the bottom line is, my discipleship is really up to me. My pursuit of God is up to me. And nobody can take the place of my discipline and, and my appetite. The church was also never designed, this is a big one, it was never designed to preserve a way of life. Oh, man, I'm telling you, if there's one thing that I believe is killing the American church in the last 30, 40, 50 years, I had a, <laughs> I had a, 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 I remember this back in my 20s, I had a professor uh, on the master's level one time say, and then, gosh, he said this in the early 90s, he said, the problem with American churches right now is we've taken the posture that if 1955 ever comes back, we'll be ready. <laughs> There's a whole sermon in that. We're not here to circle the wagons and keep all the darkness out, shout at the darkness, preserve our way of life, nostalgia. Let me tell you something, man. We are here. Jesus sent us to go into culture, not run from it. And so we, we, are, here, we are here to preserve kingdom living but not here to preserve this idea. See, let me tell you something. God's idea of the kingdom was never a campus idea. Campuses are great. I love our campus. But God's idea of growing the kingdom was never to prop up a church building and keep it running. Jesus started a movement, and what we've done, I think, in, in, in the last 75 to 100 years, is we took a movement and we made an institution out of it. And, and we've got to get to a place where we, I mean, think about it, man. Read the book of Acts. What is Christianity? It is a street movement. It's a street movement. Do you realize, I don't know if you know this, I don't want to assume that you would. Do you know there's, this isn't even in my notes. This is, this is, this is why I'm such a great pastor. When I, well, that's bad. Why do y'all let me say stuff like that? Um, I, this wasn't even in my notes, what I was trying to say. Um, this just popped into my head. You know, the Bible, there's two different types of Greek language. You, know, you, you know that? There's classical Greek, which, so I'm, I'm, it's not this, but think Shakespeare. That's a type of English, right? There's classical Greek, 
And then there's a, there's a type of Greek called koine. That's back alley street language. God had a choice of how he inspired the biblical writers. Would it shock you that he used back alley street language? Why did God use back alley street Greek? Because it's a street movement. We are, and, and, and the further we retreat from that, it's, we do it to our own detriment. So let's look at what Jesus said. So here, here's, the, here's the verse we're looking at this morning. It's just one verse. Jesus is given the model prayer, and this is what he says. They're asking him, hey, how, how do we pray like you do? I mean, how do we pray like that? Pray then in this way, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, if you don't get that part right, the rest of it doesn't really fall into line. Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed, hallowed be your name. It, it really makes you think a lot about what he said also in the great commandment, right? What did he say in Matthew 22? He said, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Those are three distinct places with all of your total person. We are, we are told to hallow the name. And so let me tell you, as we start moving over the next several weeks into what actually is a healthy church, what do churches actually do, and how do we measure if we're healthy or not, Here's the first of that long line of sermons coming your way. The first metric, if you want to, for those of you in the corporate culture, you have KPIs. You want to put a KPI on scripture? Here's the first one. The first one is our job, all of us, is to hallow the name of God. To set apart the name as holy. You see, understand when, when, when Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You understand that's a verb. It, it, it literally means to take something and set it aside, to set it apart. So you, you aren't just to think of God as holy, you know, like other, there's an otherness to God. You're not just to think of God as holy. You're at, you and I, we are actually to take steps in our lives to set apart ourselves in alignment with God. The number one goal, the number one aim, the number one desire of a church, the number one filter, the number one key performance indicator that we should lay over the top of everything we do from finance committee to nominating to student ministry to kids to missions to everything. The number one thing that we should, the, the number one lens that we should look at everything through is does it make the name of God holy? Does it glorify the name of God? Does, does God's name come out better? Does this make God's kingdom go further? Does this bring honor to the name of God? And so, so the, but the real question is, okay, but how? Right, how do you do that? How do I actually go? If Jesus told me, Jesus told me, and he told you in the model prayer, hallowed be your name. Set the name of God apart. That is that we are to live that way. How do you do that? How do you make that happen? Well, I'm going to give you two key truths this morning of the way you can do that. Number one, when I set apart his name, his agenda becomes my agenda. you got to know that, friend. 
When you set the name of God over your life, his agenda becomes your agenda. And that's a really important truth when you look at the model prayer. His agenda becomes my agenda. What we're talking about in the great commandment, Jesus kind of alluded to it. Look at what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. He's not talking about the heart muscle. Thump, thump, no. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is your affections. What he's talking about is if you want to set the name of God over your life like an umbrella, if you want to walk underneath the name of God, if you want to actively be somebody that does exactly what Jesus just said, and that is make the name of God holy, then what you've got to do, friend, is you've got to consistently, watch me now, you've got to consistently check the things you crave. You see, your appetite, your affections, your appetite will determine your trajectory. You do know that, don't you? You know, you get a life lesson in this every day, right? When you're hungry, right? You get a life lesson every day. Appetite drives decisions, does it not? Yeah, right, right? I mean, seriously, Appetite drives decisions. When you get hungry, you will find certain things you want and you'll cull certain things you don't want. Appetite drives decisions. So Jesus is telling us that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. It's about not just what you cherish. You want to know if you're bringing honor to the name of God in your lifestyle, it's not just about what you cherish. I would also ask yourself, what do I allow? Because what you allow is just as much a reflection as what you cherish. And I can tell you, Christian friends, that at least in my lifetime, It's very rare that I hear churches across our land talking about the deep importance of holiness. It's not backward living, nostalgia, old school Christianity. God is love. God is mercy. God does come running after you. God does count the numbers of the hairs on your head. God is absolutely concerned about you. But before he is love, before he is mercy, before he is kind, before he is anything, friend, he is holy. He is holy. And we cannot treat him just like he's our best friend forever. That is not in his nature. He is holy above all else. So you want to hallow the name, make your agenda his agenda. And the, the other truth I would tell you is when you hallow the name, I would say you set apart his name because his standards will become your standards. When I set apart God's name, I said, how do we do this? How do we go about actually making God's name holy in my life? I make my agenda match his agenda, and I also make my standards match his standards. 
Jesus said in the great commandment, look at what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your mind. See, friends, look. When the Bible, listen, man, the, the, the New Testament is full of this word, mind. You hear the mind all the time. It comes up all throughout the New Testament. See, when, if you're a believer in here today, and if you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and you surrendered all of your person to him, when you, as we use in Christian language, when you got saved, we talk about that, you know, you were saved from the wrath. That's what that means. You, you hear Christians say, you know, I was saved, you know, whenever. What, what do they mean by that? It means I was saved from the wrath to come. I gave my life to Jesus. I repented of my sins, and I became a follower of Jesus. Well, when that happened to you, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came into your life. And in that moment, you didn't, God didn't replace my brain. I would have taken it. Could he, you know, I would have, you know, I'd have taken it. I didn't get a new brain, but I did get a new mind. I got a new mind. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me tell you something. It, God would never have told you to be transformed in the way you look at life if it wasn't possible. Transformation is possible. He would have never dangled the carrot. That would be cruel, wouldn't it? It would be cruel to say, hey, Jason, you have the power to change what you think about yourself. Hey, Jason, you have the power to change what you think about that person in your family. Hey, Jason, you have the power to change how you view that situation that happened six years ago. You have the power to harness what you believe about the people around you. God would never have told you to be transformed if it wasn't possible. God gave you a new mind. So when you, when you come into hallowing the name of God... You have a new set of standards at which to measure things with. And this is why I call it the decision filters. God has given you new decision filters. That's what it means to have a new mind. That your mind becomes his mind. The things you want are the things he wants for you. And see, this is the problem. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think the Christian church... I mean, let's face it. It's really easy for a guy like me to come, come on, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later and, you know, be the armchair quarterback of all that could have went right, you know. That's what, I mean, ESPN's made a living on that, like, right? I mean, it's great. It's really easy for guys like me to, oh, we got it so wrong back there. Well, they'll do the same thing 30 years from now if Jesus doesn't come. Here's all the things you guys got wrong in 2022. Hindsight's 2020, we know that. But somewhere, it doesn't change the fact, though, that somewhere along the way, Christians began to measure spiritual growth by behaviors. We call it behavior modification. Many of you that did grow up in church, you didn't only know what was right, you knew what you should never do, right? Christianity was full of do's and do's and don'ts. And I guarantee you there were more don'ts than do's in your house for a lot of you. In fact, some of you grew up in churches that all they ever told you to do was don't. Right? That actually came out pretty good. I didn't intend for that to happen. That, <laughs> they just don't. 
don't this. You know, in fact, I would go so far as to say, friend, in the Christian church, in the evangelical American church, we are more known for what we're against than what we're for. And that's sad. Because I'm for a lot of things. I'm not talking about changing behaviors. I mean, some of you grew up in an era, and it wasn't bad. I mean, people were doing the best they can, but many of you grew up in an era where when you filled out your tithe envelope on it, came to church, literally, you checked the box, brought my tithe, zip, invited a friend, bing, you know, perfect attendance. Some of y'all know, oh, I'm still mad at that guy that got that, right? Some of y'all had perfect attendance. Anybody have perfect attendance in here? Raise your hand. Oh, you church geeks. Look at y'all. I'm telling you, man, it's awesome. You still, <laughs> yeah. But so we, we, we had all these behaviors and we, we lined them up and said, oh, because you know why we did that? Well, how else are we gonna measure the sheep from the goats? Right? How are we gonna measure the sheep from the goats if we can't do it through behaviors? I'm not talking about behaviors. To hallow the name means that you set your mind to his mind. It means that your decisions, you look at them through a biblical lens, right? So, okay, you get it. What do I do next then? That's the real question. What do you do next? How do I actually put this into motion? How do my standards become his standards? And how, how do my affections become his affections? How does my agenda become his agenda? Because Jesus said in the model prayer, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. See, if you don't get the hallowed part right, the kingdom doesn't come because you know whose kingdom it'll be. It'll be your kingdom. Did you hear me? If his standards aren't your standards, if his thinking isn't your thinking, if his desires aren't your desires, if his cravings aren't your cravings, it'll be your kingdom. That's why the first thing out of the gate was set the name apart. Because what you do is you fall into alignment with that. So, so how, what do we do next? Well, here's the first thing I think we have to do. We have to ask. If you find yourself struggling to honor the name of God, ask. In a certain area of your life, ask. Ask God. Do you know, I, I, I often call it the, the hunger and thirst promise. You know, in, when Jesus, earlier in, in, uh, in this very sermon that he gave, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, you, you can actually, listen, listen to me, friend. You, you can ask God to change your appetite. You can. If you don't have an appetite for the holy, you can ask for it. And I tell you, he will honor it. He just made you a promise right there. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will not be left wanting. They will not be left wanting. Jesus also said right there in that, those few verses, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. The pure in heart will see God. That's a promise. The purity in heart, those that set the name above, you will actually see God. You will experience God. You see, God favors those that favor him. He favors those that favor him. He puts favor on those people. You want to experience the power of God? Begin to ask for it. 
But there's another thing you can do. You can audit, right? It's the thing we all fear. Come April, May, June. <laughs> you know, every time you get a letter from the IRS or, you know, or some change in the law, every time you've ever gotten one of those, you know, and even if, if it was just some form letter about some change, you, make, you say, oh, oh my gosh, am I gonna, what's, what's in there? You know, I sent a friend of mine a letter one time from the IRS. It was an awesome practical joke. I like took their letterhead and, uh, and, and uh, told him it was awesome. Uh, we were in our 20s and he had made the mistake of telling me he owed some money on taxes. Oh man, I typed up this letter. He called me, he was, he's, I, I, he couldn't even breathe. I, I just got a letter, I just got a letter. I said, from what, where? You know, oh, it was, that was, I'm, I'm a horrible friend. I just, I thought of that just now. Some of y'all accountants were going, oh, man, this guy, right? What does it mean to audit? It means take inventory. This, this is, it means take inventory. Take inventory of your life. You want to hallow the name? As a church, you want to hallow the name of God? We can ask ourselves this question, friends. It's not just in what we cherish. What do we allow? Think about that. And, and I'm the last person that wants to be judgmental or mean. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. The, the, the culture of people that aren't Jesus followers yet, they have made a mantra out of don't judge me. Let me tell you something. You're never judging anybody by telling them the truth. The truth isn't judgmental. The truth is the truth. It is the truth. And we conform to it. But why? Because the truth sets you free. That's the whole point. God's heart for you is he, it's not that he's saying, oh, don't, don't, don't. And I don't want you to have fun over here or have fun over there. He's saying, no, I want you to live in freedom. And the way you get that is staying in the boundaries of the road that I paved for you. See, God gave you boundaries to keep you alive, not to keep you stunted audit. Ask. Ask for holiness in your life. Ask for a thirst. Ask for a hunger. Audit your life. But then I will tell you, when you do that, friend, I would say you need to align. You need to align. As a church, we must be in a forever posture of alignment. The number one question we should ask from our constitution, our bylaws, our governance policies, the way we operate this place, does it align? And if it doesn't, it ought not be. Does it align? It's not about conformity to a whole set of standards and behaviors just because it's kind and nice and all of that good thing, no. But we are the church. It's not just a building. It's not just a place on Franklin Road. It's a group of people. God favors those that favor him. And if you want to see the power of God on your church, let me tell you something, friends. You want to see the power of God on this place? You want to see it? I'm telling you, every one of us, every one of us, align. Align. Align your life to God's life. Christian, listen to me. I'm serious. You want to experience the power of God? You can. I mean, you can. I mean, it is beyond your imagination what God can do to you. 
and what he can do through you. But God is far more interested in what he's going to do in you than what he's going to do through you. He wants to do things in you. God, there is a life waiting for you that you never dreamed possible. Some of you have grown so used to depression. God's given you tools to be an overcomer. It doesn't have to be that way forever. Oh, you may struggle with it, but you can dominate. You don't have to be the person that's on the receiving end of a whipping every day mentally. God's made you a victor, and he can, he can give you that. Some of you struggle hugely with fear. God, God is absolutely able to do far more than you could ask or imagine with anxiety. Give you a life you never dreamed of. Some of you struggle with shame in your past. God it can do far and above anything you ever imagined. If you'll align, if you'll align, you weren't created to be your own boss. That's what got us here. You weren't created to be your own boss. You were created to fall into the alignment with a holy God, and he will meet you there. So I'm telling you, what is the, what is the most important practical step you can take today to bring honor to the name of God? I will tell you, align. If you're out of step with your money, listen to me. If you're out of step with your money, God has given you a job, and all he asks for is to be obedient. Give him. Give. In fact, I'm not, I'm not even so sure that we can even say tithing is giving. You can't give what you don't own. Think about it. You can't give what you don't own. I don't own it. God says, hey, I'm going to give you 100% of it, Jason, and I want you to honor me with 10 that's just the standard. Are you out of alignment with that? Obey. Just obey God. Trust God. Obey God. God is a miracle worker. I actually, had, I actually knew of a guy down in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. He owned a small business one time, and he, was, he wanted all of his young men that were working for him to learn to honor God with his money. And he, and he said, I didn't have a lot of money, Jason. I mean, we were barely profitable as a small business, but I told all my guys working for me, he said, I want you to do something. Because they were believers, young believers in their early 20s. And he said, I want you to do something. I'm going to give you 90 days and I want you to begin tithing today. And whatever you're going to lack in the end, I'm going to make up for it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, whatever. And they're all like, are, are you nuts? Like, I can't. There's no, he said, no. Whatever you're missing in the end, I promise you, you'll, I'll make up for it. I'll write money off the, off the business. I'll write your check. He had like six employees. He said, I've been making that promise, Jason, for 10 years, and I haven't written a check yet. Obey God. You out of alignment with your sex life? Sexual purity, you out of alignment? Align with God. Align with God. Align with him. You out of alignment in the things that you're doing at work? the contracts you're signing and you know you shouldn't be signing them and you, you, you're putting your name on some of those proposals and you're doing some of those you know, RFPs and you're, 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 sitting, you're getting them out there and you're like, oh, we're going to fudge the numbers. Don't put your name on it. Don't put your name on it. You're not going to stand in front of your customer on the day you die. Aren't you glad? Don't put your name on it. Align. Trust God with your future, friend. 
Some things aren't that hard. Align. Listen to me. The power of God resides in people like that. I'm telling you. You are never, listen to me, Christian friend, you are never wrong obeying God. And you're never right delaying obedience. You're never wrong obeying God, and you're never right delaying obedience. You want to see the power of God on your life? You want to see the power of God on your church? Align. There's a group of people. There's a group of people in this book. They were blue-collar. They were very normal. They had marriages, parents with failing health. They had kids. They had school. They had invoices to pay. They had a government they didn't like. They had politics in their communities. They had enemies and they had friends. They were just like us. And you know their name. There are men and women. You know their name. Peter, Andrew, Mary, Priscilla, Phoebe, James, John. You know their name. Mark, Luke, Paul. You know their name. Why do you know their name? They were normal people. Because they took their normal life and they aligned it with a supernatural God. And we are still talking about them. We are still talking about them. God favors those that favor him. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.